0: Hi there and welcome to Vineyard Church, Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hanson. I'm the lead pastor here at the church and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. This is week five of our Live Free series and it's a study of the New Testament book of of Galatians written by uh, the Apostle Paul, who is a first century follower of Jesus He was a prolific church planter. Uh, He's writing this letter to churches he planted in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to correct false, false teachings spoken to the churches by some Jewish believers who were basically saying, hey, this gospel, this good news that you heard from Paul regarding how to be made right with God, regarding how to be in... A restored relationship with God. Well, <clears throat> what Paul told you was he didn't give you the whole truth. His version was watered, uh, watered down. It, it, uh, it's not just believing in the work of Jesus on your behalf. It also requires your uh, obedience to your keeping of the Jewish laws and the traditions, Jewish traditions, in order to be made right with God. <clears throat> so Paul is writing to say, no, 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 Galatian churches. Uh, wait a minute, it's called the good news because it's a gift. It's called the good news because it's not something you can or have to earn. And so he's writing to defend the gospel. And and I think, let me give you a a picture that I think is a helpful picture and just understanding what's at stake in Galatians. Uh, Way back in 2016, my wife Helen and I went on a vacation to, to Cancun, Mexico, and it was my first experience in an all-inclusive resort. And it took me a while to, uh, to get used to that. Um, and, and one of the reasons is, and I don't think I'm alone in this, but when, whenever we go on a family vacation, I have this little accountant who lives in my brain. And okay, I can tell <laughs> I'm good, I'm not alone. <clears throat> but he, he is constantly he's constantly calculating the cost of everything. And he's sending me an up-to-the-second report of all that we're spending on this trip. And uh, at times, I can get a little tense, uh, maybe even a little cheap, like, hey, do you really need three meals a day? But, but if you've ever been in an all-inclusive, wow, it's a whole new world. In an all-inclusive <clears throat> resort, all your food, all your drinks, all the entertainment, some of the activities, they're, they're all covered. Meaning once you've paid, it is like those things are now paid in full. And while it took me a while to get used to it, once I believed that it was actually true, I thought, I think I'm pretty good at this. I, <clears throat> I really got into it. It was, it was wonderful. Now now imagine if a week or so into my, my all-inclusive bliss, that someone from the front desk suddenly changed the rules. What if they pulled out an old brochure, you know, back at a time when you had to pay for everything, to back up their claim and said, you know what, hey, uh-oh, uh, uh, actually there is a cost. I'm not sure who your travel agent was. Was it Paul? Was it Paul? Like, uh, but what he told you was, no, he didn't, he didn't give you the whole truth. There is a cost. Now, don't worry, you can still stay in, in the resort. But now, you have to pay. You have to pay as you go. Now, just imagine how miserable <clears throat> it would be to suddenly abandon that all-inclusive bliss, that incredible freedom and suddenly go back to paying for it, pay as you go. Now, in the context of Galatians, I think that's a pretty accurate picture of what Paul was writing to defend, what was at stake. And uh, uh, before we pray, I wanna ask you a question and I'm gonna ask you this question again later. But my question, in, in light of the story I just told you, my question is this, think about this. Do you live each day, do you live each day with God like it's an all-inclusive or it's paid for by Him? Or do you live each day with God like it's a sometimes-inclusive? Meaning sometimes there are, you know, you have to pay. Uh, one of those is the gospel. One of those is the good news. The other isn't. And uh, so I'm gonna come back to that question later, but first let's, let's pray and then we'll, we'll jump into Galatians. <clears throat> so Lord, we do... Uh, Thank you for water, and we, uh, we do thank you for another opportunity to gather. Lord, we, uh, we thank you that our nation, our state, our families, our lives are in your hands. And we just pray, Lord, would your kingdom come and your will be done. Uh, but I pray today, Lord, would you come and teach us something new about how wonderful you are. Or just come fill the room. I thank you for those who are joining us online. Would you come close to them today? Uh, but we, we welcome you here. You, uh, would you come have your way in Jesus' name? Amen. <clears throat> okay, the section we're looking at today, many theologians, men and women who have given their lives to studying the Bible, refer to this section of Paul's letter as the theological heart, the theological center of this letter that he's writing to the Galatians. And we'll <clears throat> we'll see why that is a little later. Uh, last weekend, uh, Brett <clears throat> Brett did a great job. The youth did a great job taking over. Uh, we're still, <clears throat> yeah, we're still cleaning up. We're still cleaning up after the youth take over. No, that's not true. But uh, he did a great job covering the first part of chapter three, really focusing in on the promise God gave to Abraham, this good news promise, a promise to bless all peoples, all the earth through His descendants. Brett talked about how the promise was fulfilled not in us getting it all right, but in Jesus, uh, in Jesus who got it all right. So uh, chapter three continues. Now, Paul is gonna contrast some differences between what it's like to live under the law or what it's like to be in Christ. So let's read here. This is Galatians 3, 23. It says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up, until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Remember again that in Galatians, what was at stake really was, was, uh, was the answer to the question, what makes us right with God? What restores relationship between God and And people. And is it your ability? Is it our ability to keep all the laws given by God? Or is it when we put our faith, our belief, our trust in the one, in Jesus, who alone was able to keep all the laws given by God? So, number one is under the law versus in Christ. We're just going to look at what Paul says, his contrasting. Uh, notice that Paul starts off by saying, he, really by painting a pretty bleak picture when we consider being under the law. Uh, he starts off by saying, under the law, basically we were enslaved. He uses language like, under the law, we were held in custody. We were locked up. And again, that's, that's harsh language. And Paul is not trying to hide the fact that being under the law, that's not a good thing. That's a place that we need to be rescued from, freed from. The original Greek word uh, for held in custody is frureo, which means to protect by military guards. Again, that's, that's strong language. That's harsh language. The original Greek word for locked up is syncleo, which means to hem in or coop up. And, and Paul is saying that the role of the law was basically to hold us in prison, to keep us confined until, until faith came. Pointing to Jesus until Jesus arrived. He then goes on to describe the law as our guardian. And again, the original Greek word for guardian is a cool word, "paidagogos." Doesn't that just roll off your tongue? Uh, I'd like an order of pedagogos, por favor. But uh, what is a pedagogos? Yeah, it's a tutor or more specifically, a trainer of boys. And again, if, you, if we were a first century art audience, we, we would have been hearing this letter and we would have heard pedagogos and we would have thought, it wouldn't have been a warm, comforting thought. It would have been, again, been like a harsh thing. A pedagogos was, was a tutor, probably a family uh, servant who had the responsibility of corralling the kids, getting them back and forth to school, synagogue. Uh, um, historically, this tutor would carry a cane or rod in his hand, whack, which he was happy to use when it came to keeping the kids in line. Again, that's not a, that is not a pleasant uh, uh, pleasant picture. So Paul is writing to the Galatians and he's trying to you know, correct, come, uh, come against the false teachings of the, of the Jewish believers and he's driving home, he's trying to drive home, remind them of the beauty of the good news uh, by reminding them of the harshness of the law. Listen to this quote uh, from John Stott. God intended the law to reveal sin and to drive men and women to Christ. Satan, God's rival, not his peer, but his rival, uses it, uses the law to reveal sin and to drive people to despair. God meant the law as an interim step to our justification. Satan used it as the final step to our condemnation. God meant the law to be a stepping stone to liberty. Satan uses it as a cul-de-sac, deceiving his victims into supposing that there is no escape from its dreadful bondage. Like a jailer, it has thrown us into prison. Like a pedagogo, it rebukes and punishes us for our misdeeds. But thank God, he never meant this oppression to be permanent. He gave the law in his grace in order to make the promise more desirable. So Paul is, is, is contrasting under the, what it means to be under the law. Uh, and now he turns a corner in verse 25, and he says, now, now that this faith has come, uh, we are no longer under a guardian. Meaning that now that Jesus has come, now that Jesus has fulfilled uh, 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 the law on our behalf, that means now, Paul is reminding them, that everything has changed for us our status, everything has changed. We are now in Christ by faith. We are now acceptable to God, made right with God because we are in Christ by faith. And you notice that it said by faith, by faith, by faith all over in this section. By faith means this change, this new status that we have with God has come to us not because we have earned it, but because we believe, we've put our hope, our trust, our faith in the fact that Jesus has earned it on our behalf. And and really the Christian life is is learning to live our lives as if this really is true. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. So, So what is true? What has changed for us as people now that we are no longer under the law, according to Paul, but rather in Christ. Verse 26 says, we are now children of God. God's no longer our judge. He's, he's our father. Uh, we are now clothed with Christ. Our relationship with Jesus is, 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 is as close and as intimate as the very clothes that are on our bodies. When God, when God looks at you, when he looks at me, he now, seeing us in Christ, he now sees us the same way he sees his son, Jesus. Jesus. Verse 28, we are now all of equal standing in God's family. Uh, what used to divide or devalue us or what we use to, to lift people up or tear people down, race, <clears throat> rank, gender. Well, Paul is saying that doesn't matter now. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are on equal standing before God. Verse 29, we are now Abraham's descendants, co-heirs with him to the promise made by God. All that God promised to Abraham now in Christ is, is ours too. And, and I think if Paul would have stopped here in his defense in this letter, uh, I think he would have had the people's attention, the people listening to it. They, I think they would have been going oh, yeah, okay, now I remember, Paul. I remember what you said, and yeah, 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 yeah. I remember you even talking about freedom from the law and how good the good news was. Like, I I think he's done a good job, and and he could have stopped there, but but this is where it gets really, really cool is that he doesn't stop there. As it rolls into chapter four, chapter four is not a new thought. It's a continuation of what Paul's saying in three. And in chapter four, Paul takes his defense of the good news a whole new level. Number two is not just rescued, adopted. Not just rescued, adopted. And I said earlier that, you know, many theologians see this section of Galatians as the theological heart, the theological center. And as we consider now what Paul is about to say of of just the the level of our new status in Christ, I think it becomes obvious as to why they call this the heart of the letter. Paul Continues now by basically he's saying that the plan of God wasn't just to rescue us; it wasn't just to get us out of the imprisonment that we were in. You know, our bondage to the law. Paul goes on to say that God's plan was to take it even further, to now adopting us as his very own sons and daughters. Listen to this quote uh, from the late Tim Keller. The salvation of Jesus, the rescuing of Jesus is not only like receiving a pardon and release from death row in prison. Then we'd be free, but on our own, left to make our own way in the world, thrown back on our own efforts if we're going to make anything of ourselves. But in the gospel, in the good news, we discover that Jesus has taken us off death row and then has hung around our neck the Congressional Medal of Honor. Let that sink in. We are received and welcomed as heroes, as if we had accomplished extraordinary deeds. And I look at that and I go, really? Really? Because doesn't what I was always taught, if it sounds too good to be true, then it isn't true, right? I remember hearing my dad say that. <clears throat> but it's sort of like Paul. Paul, really? really? That's like, like, are you saying that right now, God the Father looks at me, sees me the same way he sees his perfect victorious son? And to that, Paul says, well, why do you think it's called good news? That, yes, that's true. He says this in, in chapter four, verse four, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Daddy, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You know when I when I look at at the plan of God, not just to rescue but to adopt. That's something that the older I get now in my thirties. The older I get, it's like it's like, well, I guess like an onion where you strip a layer away and you think I must I must you know I must be I must be done and it's just there's it just it's a never-ending, mind-blowing, beautiful truth. God's incredible love and heart towards us, that he doesn't just rescue us. You got it? Good. Now, now, don't mess up. Off you go. But that he proceeds to now adopt us. It's amazing to me that God makes his people, not his slaves, not his employees, not his means to an end, but that he makes us his children, his sons and his daughters. And and, and, like, and remember, this is, this is all his idea. This isn't our idea. This is his idea. I don't think, as human beings, I don't think we would be able to think up something so crazy and so wonderful that the perfect creator of the heavens and the earth would look at us and say, I want you. I, I want to adopt you. And don't forget that when, when someone is, adopts someone else, it's the adopter who... who who does the choosing of the adoptee? Right. My wife Helen was adopted, and they would have looked at. I don't. I don't know the whole. I don't know the whole story, but I know that there would have been selection. And they looked at Helen and said, "Her, we want her." God, the adopter, chose you, the adoptee. Uh, listen to this. Romans five eight says, "But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us." while we were still sinners. Like he didn't send Christ to die for us, you know, after he'd watched us for a while and now we've proven our worth. Now we're proven that we are gonna be successful. We won't be a burden to him. So, okay, now I choose you. Or he didn't, you know, he didn't go after us when, when we, you know, we would cleaned ourselves up and we'd learned our lesson and you don't keep falling for what you keep falling for. No, he, while we are still sinners, while our backs were turned to him, while we, we, we couldn't care less about him. He pursued us and he said, I, I want you. And that means then today, the heart of God towards all of us here, everyone online, he knows what kind of week you've had. He knows what we've struggled with, the temptations, the, just all the ups and downs of life and when you blow it. And, and, and he looks at all of that and he sees it all. He sees it all and he looks at you and me today and he, said, he says, you, I want you as my son. I want you as my daughter. I choose you. So how does God do this amazing work? Well, notice that the rescue and adoption are all, all God's doing. Verse four says this, uh, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. Isn't that amazing that when when God sent Jesus to earth, he dropped him, he sort of parachuted right into our imprisonment. He was born under the law. He he was dropped right into our cell, if you will, uh, to set us free. And notice that Jesus didn't sneak us out of jail. You know, this is a reference to another story in the New Testament. Jesus didn't land, you know, I don't know, know, sort of a Brad Pitt character. Hey, everyone, Uh, keep it down, but follow me. I'm going to get you out of here. The guards are asleep. Let's sneak out of here. No, he didn't do that because he came to, to rescue us. He came to give us legal status as adopted children, as, as people set free. And what I mean is he dropped into our cell and he said, Hey everyone, someone turn the lights on. Come everyone. If you, if you want to be free, come follow me. And he marched us out of that cell and he marched us into the courtroom before the judge, before God. And Jesus and the father are looking and they're grinning because they know what's going on. And Jesus says, father, I want to pay the penalty for all these lawbreakers. And I want to set them free. And the father's like, wham, slams the gavel down. He says, paid in full, you are free. Colossians two thirteen. It says, "You were, we were dead because of our sins, and because our sinful nature was not yet cut away, It hadn't yet been dealt with. Then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all our sins. He canceled, He canceled the record of the charges against us, and took it away by nailing it to the cross. So now we're free. We're free, which is wonderful. But again, God didn't stop there. The next step." well, so now I want to adopt all these people. Verse six, because you are his son's legal status, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Daddy, Father. God sent his son so that we would have the status, the legal status of adoption. And and now God sends his Holy Spirit so that we would have the experience We would experience what it means to be adopted by God. So in a sense, Jesus came and he said, hey, everyone, you are free. And the Holy Spirit came and he said, hey, everyone, you are home. You're home. You're no longer an orphan. You're no longer alone. You're home. You're forever home. So let, let me go back, as I'm wrapping up here, let me go back to the question I started with, which was, do you live each day with God like it's, and number three, like it's an all-inclusive or sometimes inclusive? And see, I'm coming back to that because, because the, 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 the invitation of God is an all-inclusive invitation. It's come receive a gift that you if you lived a thousand lifetimes, you couldn't afford. And so come receive a gift that is paid in full by, by me, by God. Uh, one of the commentaries I read this week talked about how many Christians are, he called it this, half, half saved by grace. Meaning your experience of God is, it's, it's, it's not an all-inclusive. It's a sometimes-inclusive. Meaning, meaning we're pardoned, we're rescued, we're in the resort if you will, <clears throat> but for some reason, uh, even though we're in the resort, for some reason, it's just not free for you. It's not free for me. And if we're gonna participate in God's favor and the, all these blessings of adoption, all the, you know, all the cool stuff the resort has to offer, well, well again, for some reason, I don't know why, but uh, I still need to earn it. And where I see that played out in my life, that, that half-saved grace, I see it out, well, in many areas, but especially two areas. The first is, I see it when I do break God's laws. When I fall short. I see it in the fact that uh, how quick I am to turn on myself and to uh, just struggle to receive forgiveness. Like, are you kidding me? You did that again? Like, shame on you? Or, you know, the mental... Uh, beating you give yourself. Or I also, in those situations, I see how quick I am to entertain the condemnation of the enemy who's just loading it on. Or another place that I see it, or, or you know, because in those situations, I'm still in the resort, you know, meaning relationship with God, but, but it's not enjoyable. Because now I'm looking at what I did and now I have to pay for this. And I don't know how I'm going to pay for that. That makes sense. The other way that I see it play out is when something goes wrong, something bigger than me, something beyond my resources, uh, I have this incredible loneliness comes over me. Because now I have to figure it out. Because I'm half saved by grace. When I'm, do, when I'm getting it right and things are going well, then, then, we're, then I'm saved. Does that make sense? But when things go wrong, I'm quick to, I'm quick to feel like, well, now... Now I need to figure this out. And you're sort of backed into a corner of trying to fix the problem. Well, the story of the Bible is that God sent his son to rescue us, you're free. But then the story of the Bible continues by saying, and then Jesus, after he did that, he ascended back up to heaven, he left. But then the story of the Bible says, but then God sent the Holy Spirit who came to live in our hearts to remind us that you're home. But isn't it interesting in the Bible, there's nowhere where it says, but now the Holy Spirit has left their hearts. He's here. He's always, always with us. And the Holy Spirit, He knows how hard it is for us to believe that this is true. That this, as we as we stumble through life, and and so his 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 primary job is to live in our hearts and to remind us constantly: you're adopted. You're not alone. God is your father. No, you don't need to figure this out on your own. He is with you. He's always with you. And to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to set out each day, not knowing what's going to come our way, good or bad, but to set out each day with a predetermined attitude of I am never alone. Uh, God is my father. I am his child. And because he's my father, that means I am his responsibility. I'm his child to care for. Uh, Why don't we have the worship team come back? I want to end off by reading. It's about a page long. It's by reading a, uh, there's a guy, he's like a preacher, poet, um, singer, songwriter. uh, uh, His name is Andy Squires. And he's got a book of writings that I've been working through. and, And this one is called, I don't understand, but I'm learning to believe. Listen to this. In order to grow in my faith, I have had to leave behind my demand to understand God and life perfectly. In the past, I've been adamant that God explain himself, but he has been adamant that I simply trust him. He easily outlasts me, and the relief comes. The shelter that engulfs my heart and mind when I, even as a last resort, throw myself fully into the care of God is indescribable. False shelters abound in this life, the pursuit of pleasure, obsession with power, achievement by any means, any degree of fame or celebrity. But none of these vanities are adequate to relieve our deep need for real safety. Only Christ himself is able to truly and adequately shelter us. Today, may the bread of life relieve you of any failing heart you might have. May the confession of your mouth Be that God is the strength of your heart and may you be set free from every false idol which has promised you shelter but left you out in the cold. People's hearts are failing for fear. Jesus used this phrase in the Gospel of Luke and it comes to my mind often. I've been a Christian for many years, but in some sense, over time and by degree, I stopped actively entrusting my life to the care of God in the way I once did. I'm not sure how it happened. At some point though, I realized I had become consumed by fear. My heart was failing for fear. I knew I had to return to Christ. It sounds silly, but I have recently made a concerted effort to be a Christian again. What I mean is I have gone back to the elemental Christian practice of actively trusting Christ with my day-to-day life. I have made it my confession that I am in the care of another, that person being Christ. Isn't that beautiful? I wish I'd written that. I wrote it down. <laughs> the heart of what I'm trying to remind us of today, I, I don't know if I've said anything today, looking around this room, looking at the camera, I don't know if I've said anything today that is like brand new. I think, uh, I think we know most, or if not all of this, but, but I do think we forget, like what Andy was saying and what he wrote, we forget. We forget, and, 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 and so my word to us today is, you aren't just rescued, you're adopted. And that, and that the Christian life is learning to live like that's true, it's learning to live that, you know what, no matter how accomplished I get, no matter how much stuff or how much is in the bank, or I am always in the care of another. I think that's what it really means. That, that is really good news. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.